right. First John, the book of First John, chapter number five. Tonight, the Lord willing, I'm going to preach on dealing with life-dominating sins. Sins we just can't get over. We all sin, and probably most of us have got a sin, or, or perhaps more, that we really struggle with. And so tonight, the Lord willing, we'll take a look in the scriptures and see some things about life-dominating sins. Uh, drunkenness, pornography, drug addiction, those kinds of things are life-dominating sins. I know it's not what the world calls them, but we're not interested in a world definition. We're going to get the Bible's definition. Uh, we, you know, people say, I'm addicted to sex. No, you're just a pervert. I don't have to say it. You know, you're, you're perverting what God's given to be natural and normal and twisting it. And uh, if, if you can't help yourself from being immoral, then you, you've got a real serious spiritual problem. It could be you need to get saved. But sometimes God's people do sinful things as well. And so we're going to be looking at life-dominating sins tonight as the Lord would direct us. 1 John chapter 5. The, the book of 1 John is a book that uh, gives us assurance. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Look in chapter 5 verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Uh, so it's a, a book of not vague things, but of certain things. Uh, when I say that, certain the certainty of things. Uh, we can be satisfied uh, from the, these verses. Look in chapter 1 with me for just a minute. Chapter number 1. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Then parentheses, which is an explanation of what's going on, for the life was manifested. We've seen it and bear witness and shown you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with our Son, with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. What are some great things in the book of First John. I'd encourage you if you're memorizing scripture to memorize the book. It's not that difficult. I know uh, as American Christians, we blanch at the thought of memorizing large sections of scripture, but that's common amongst God's people, especially where Bibles are scarce. Uh, they have to memorize scripture and it will stand you in good stead if you'll memorize some verses. Maybe if you've got an uh, area where you have struggle with in your life, get some Bible verses about it. Memorize them. And then when, when that, that problem arises, start quoting Scripture to yourself, remembering that Scripture, maybe even speak it out loud, and uh, use the Word of God to fight your spiritual battles instead of you trying to do it on your own. But today I want to talk about believers Believers. What does the Bible have to say about believers? Hold your place here, and if you don't have to turn, I'll read it to you, but I'll give you the reference. In the book of Acts, chapter number 11, 
Acts 11 and verse 26, kind of an important statement being made there. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. This is Barnabas bringing Saul, who's soon to be called Paul. When he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called what? Christians first in Antioch. Do you know what the Romans called us? Atheists. Called Christians atheists. And the reason is because we didn't believe in their gods. Uh, we've had a lot of names thrown on us. A lot of negative things stated uh, about the church. Uh, when the Bible talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss, uh, some of our early opponents tried to say that Christianity promoted homosexuality because of that. Uh, they uh, promoted some other they, other uh, wild accusations against the, the Christian church because they were opposed to the paganism in which they were in, involved. But the Bible says we were called Christians first at Antioch, but today we use several different terms. Believers, we use that term. Uh, saints, uh, it's probably not used as much amongst Baptist folk as maybe we could use it. If you're saved today, you're a saint. You don't have to think about some Saint Nicholas or Saint Peter or something like that where you know, get some kind of holy idea in your mind about someone with a halo over their head. Uh, the word saint just simply means set apart for the use of. And if you're saved, you're set apart for the use of God. You're sanctified unto him. Uh, if you're married today, you're uh, set apart unto your wife or your husband, whichever the case may be, and you're sanctified unto them. So the, the word means that. So we use the word saints, we use the word Christians, we use the word believers, uh, we use the term born again, uh, born again people. So there's a lot of different words that we use, but we're just going to stick with believer today. If you would follow along as we read in the word of God in 1 John chapter 5. Whosoever, aren't you glad we have that word whosoever? That's where I got in, by the way. It's where you got into the, into the body of Christ too. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the, the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. May we pray. Father, we're thankful for this section of Scripture. It's so rich. I pray that you'd help us today, Father, to mine some uh, good truth out of it. To use it to apply to our lives as as believers, perhaps, Father, someone under the sound of my voice today is lost. They're away from God and can't find their way back to him. How I pray that the Holy Ghost of God might bring conviction upon them, point them, Father, away from themselves and away from their thoughts and, and unto the Savior, Jesus Christ. What a thrill it would be to see somebody born into the family of God today. Lord, we trust you. We know you'll do that which is right, even in the midst of these storms and 
this damage. We still bow before thee and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. We want to honor you with all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I have five points I want to give you today. Don't let that scare you. Usually my sermons have about three points, but we got five today, so hope you brought your lunch. Who was it preached a long time and the fellow fell out of the window? Wasn't it Paul? Said when he preached a long time, boy fell out of the window and died. Believer, believer. A, a believer is someone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Notice we read verse 13 in chapter 5 that what do you believe? You believe on the name of the Son of God. And you would believe on the name of the Son of God. We believe in Him. We, we trust Him. We're a believer that He is the Messiah. Uh, the word believe uh, carries the idea of confiding in Him for the remission of sins. Every one of us is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, you've sinned, I've sinned, and I hate to tell you this, but you're going to sin probably some more today. Maybe some more tomorrow. If you're alive a week from now, you'll be sending some then too. Sin is an ongoing issue with us. We need to do, deal with sin. I can't, I can't conjure up some way to cure sin. You know, you go to the doctor. I've been going to the doctor about my throat. Some of y'all have been going to doctors about different things. Miss Pat Meeks called this morning. Bless her heart. She's got shingles. Ask us to pray for her. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice if we could just conjure up cures for all kinds of things. And medical science in America can do many things. My brother Doug's sitting over there with a recipient of a heart transplant. Uh, they do kidney transplants. Uh, if your heart's, uh, the arteries and valves are all clogged up, there's a number of things they can do. Bypasses, stents, uh, valve replacements. You remember that one they did for Miss Leo Miller? where they didn't cut her open, they went in like a heart cath and went there and got that piece of metal where it needed to be and pushed a button or something and bang, it became a heart valve. I, that blew my mind. I'd never heard of such a thing. We have all kinds of cures. We cannot do anything at all about sin. Not one single solitary thing. Oh, we'll educate our way out of it. Go ahead, give it a whirl. We've been trying that for a long time. Matter of fact, education's given up on Christianity. They've just decided they're going to make people better without teaching morals and those kinds of things that absolutely have to be taught. But we're, we confide in him for the remission of our sins. I'm, I'm confident that he can deal with my sin because I cannot. Well, a, a believer is someone who's begotten of God. That's what our text says. <clears throat> Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is what? Born of God. You remember Nicodemus? He, he came to Jesus by night. And he said, Master, you know, we, we know that thou art a man, teacher sent from God. No man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus just started right in on him. You've got to get born again. You must be born again. And so we have been born again. If you're a believer today, that's your experience. The term born again means to be born from above. And so we're born again. We have a new nature. We've been born from above by the power and by the hand of God. Well, not only that, 
but we receive, honor, and obey the Son of God. We don't use His name lightly. Amen. I'm always troubled when somebody uses the name of God in the place of a cuss word. I don't understand that. And it, it's, uh, you feel like somebody threw a bucket of dirt on you when they do so. But we, we receive honor and obey him. Whatever he says, we want to do, at least try to do. Our, our attitude ought to be, we, we struggle sometimes with that obedience, but our attitude should be, Lord, if you'll help me, if you'll enable me, I'll do that. And another thing about these who are born again, it says, everyone that loveth him that beget, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Gets a little rougher there. If you're a Christian, you've got to love other Christians. Some of the hardest people I know to love are Christians. You've seen that t-shirt said, I love God, but his children give me problems. And yet we're supposed to have an attitude of love towards other believers. Here's the part about that. We have weaknesses. And we don't want people judging us for our weaknesses, hammering us. So we need to not judge them through, because of their weaknesses. And because you knew somebody did something five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, that doesn't mean that's the way they are today. Don't take spiritual snapshots of people and bring it up. So, oh, here it was right there in 1922. You did that right there. That's still the way you are. That's just, that's a wrong attitude to have. If I love God, I'm supposed to love his children. How many of y'all had a brother or a sister? How many of y'all fought with your brother or your sister? When I mean fight, I mean fight. Punching and kicking. Oh, yeah. And then when you were, maybe when you were younger, you might not have liked each other so much. But now that you've gotten a little older, do you love them? Sure we do. Why? They're family. They're kin. And so we're to, we're to love God's people. We're, if we have an attitude of love towards the Father, we're supposed to have an attitude of love towards all of the children. Notice what he said. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There are heresies about the person of Christ. Nestorianism, Corinthianism, Corinthianism, uh, Gnosticism. They all come up with different ideas about Jesus, what he was and what he wasn't. Gnostics taught that he was as close to God as you could get without being God because matter is sinful and God couldn't touch sinfulness. So there had to be these emanations or eons from God till you finally get far enough away from God that you could have Christ and so that, that was a heresy. Then there were a heresy where uh, the Christ came on him when he was baptized in Matthew chapter 3 and left him when he died on the cross. Uh, there was teaching that he didn't have a real human body, just seemed to have a real human body. Uh, there was teaching that he didn't have a real human nature. All these kinds of crazy ideas that men conjured up, but a believer just believes the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't need any detailed explanation about those things. I, I may not be able to comprehend a virgin birth. I have a hard time wrapping my head around any birth. How God can take two minute cells and 
bring them together. And at that moment of conception, scientists tell us now there's a, like a flash of light and conception takes place. And everything that human being, amen, is going to be in life is determined that moment when those two cells come together and that DNA tells us what color the eyes will be, what color the hair will be, all about the bone structure, skin tone, all those kinds of things are determined by our DNA. I don't understand that. I don't think any scientist really does. And when they start talking about, well, you have 95% of the same DNA as monkeys do, we're made out of the same dirt, what do you think? But 5% of DNA difference they tell me, is a huge, massive amount of information difference. So we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we don't worry about heresies, not going to get involved in any of those. By faith, we have full surrender to Jesus, not some intellectual agreement. It's not just that I judge his, his teachings and judge his works and judge his ethics and stuff like that. And I say, well, intellectually, that, that satisfies me. No, by faith, I surrender me to him. Because there's a lot of things I just don't understand and comprehend. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great teacher. That's what Islam teaches. That's what Judaism teaches. He's not just a great teacher. And even his enemies said this, no man ever spake like this man. They were sent to arrest him. And while they were there, the power of what he had to say just humbled them and drew all of their energy and strength away in the sense of being opposed to him. And they went back to the, to the Sanhedrin and said, where, they said, where is he? Where is he? And they said, we couldn't arrest him. No man ever spake like this man. That's my Christ. That's my God. I, I believe him to be the Christ, the son of the living God. He's not just a great philosopher. Anybody study philosophy in college? I had to study philosophy. Remember when we took psychology, which is kind of a branch of the same thing there a little bit. They, uh, you, you Practical philosophy, but anyway... Our professor, who had two PhDs, very brilliant man, he held the book up, and it was probably that thick, you know, book like this. You know what a class textbook looks like. And he had a little lisp because he couldn't hear well. He said, boys, if we took everything out of this book that we ain't sure about, said it'd be about that thick. Said, that's how much we can count on. A lot of truth in that. Men have conjured up many things. We think our intellectual understanding is going to satisfy us. Philosopher, you see, philosophies of life, the Epicurean philosophy, the Stoic philosophy. You know, you can go on and on with all those kinds of things. And then we have the, the personal philosophy where people say, I'm the one who's going to determine what's right and what's wrong. I'll be the one who determines how I'm going to live. I'll be the one who determines what's morally right, morally wrong, not you. And so they beat their own drum and they march to their own beat. But when you turn in the Word of God to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the, the great Sermon on the Mount, no philosopher ever expressed greater principles than King Jesus did as he taught there on the Sermon on the Mount. In the, the Old Testament, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I can understand that. That's a physical uh, uh, act of a man and a woman. Of course, in our day, it could be a physical act of a man and a man. 
or a woman and a woman. But you know what Jesus said? If a man looks after a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's committed adultery with her already. That's, that's elevating that thing. That's taking it on up. And so no philosopher ever spoke like the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. None at all. He's not some religious figure as other men. But no faith system, whether it be Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, Rosicrucianism, Ekankar, Theosophy, Christian Science, you can just roll the names off, Jehovah's Witness, or our who are way off base with what they believe. No faith system has ever made as much impact as the faith of Jesus Christ has made. Out of all the Jews that were crucified while the Romans were in control, name another besides Christ. Anybody? I've never even heard another name mentioned. I know the day he was crucified, there were two others. And all we know is that one of them went to heaven and the other went to hell. That's all we know. Oh, no. When, it, when you start talking about the faith system of Jesus, there's just one. Just one that shines and, and changes people. You bring a, an atheist and let him tell me how atheism's improved his life. We'll go down and get some of our little kiddies out of children's church and let them testify what Jesus has done for them. Amen. I forgot who the fellow was, but he said, you bring an atheist who wants to talk about how good atheism is. He said, I'll bring a hundred old sinners saved by grace. Let them start testifying. Atheism hadn't helped anybody. I, some, I say this often, but where's Atheist Memorial Hospital? They've taken over our schools they have done that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm appalled at what comes out of the mouths of some of our professors in higher education. The head of the NEA, National Education Association, ought to be ashamed of herself. They're pro-abortion. They push abortion. They're pro all this habit. And I looked on their website. They're pro all these personal pronouns. Listen, if you're born a little boy, I'm going to call you he. If you're born a little girl, I'm going to call you she. And you say, I don't like that. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, not trying to be offensive, but you're not going to force me to deny reality and call you something you're not. I'm not going to call you a cat or a cow or a dog either. Call you what you are. That, that's just reality. No faith systems ever changed the world like the faith of Jesus Christ. You can get D. James Kennedy's book, Why I Believe. It's 14 or 15 chapters about how practical Christianity has changed the world. How NASA scientists, many of them have been turning to God because they study astronomy and they're finally just struck with the fact that this just could not have happened. Evolution is the biggest farce that's ever been pushed in the educational system and the NEA and all those who push that down the throats of our young people ought to be ashamed and embarrassed and go home and find something else to do. You didn't evolve. You didn't just happen. 
Well, if that's true, you don't, you don't mean anything. You don't matter if you're just a, uh, an event that took place, an accident of nature. Somebody said if a professor's up there pushing this idea that we're just accidents of nature, then you can quit listening to him because he's just an accident of nature too. I don't believe in evolution. Never have. I remember when they started teaching it when I was in school. I was in school when they took the Bible out of the schools. We didn't. We just kept reading the Bible. I don't know how long they did it, but they, I'm sure eventually the school system forced them to, but we had a godly principal who kept pushing those kinds of things. But I remember when they started teaching evolution. Our science teacher was a deacon in the Baptist church. And this is what he said. I don't believe this, but they say I got to say it. They've told me I have, I'm required to say this. And he said about that much about it and, and just went on with something else. Evolution is a farce. Make me mad if I keep preaching on it. What's Christianity changed? Home life. Oh, women are so treated so highly in Christian nations. In places where Christianity is, is the, the cultural norm, womanhood's elevated. Just go to some place where it's not. Just get away from Christianity where you can buy wives. You can buy a 12-year-old girl. Islam says you can marry one as, as young as nine. Christianity lifted women and lifted womanhood. Not above men, but certainly equal to men. And, and we as men want to protect our women folk. I realize women can pull a trigger and kill somebody as good as a man. I just hate for them to have to see it. I, I, it you know, I'm concerned about them having to see that in, in war and, and in other things. Because I respect them, not because I think they're less than I am. I, I respect the tender nature of, of a mother. Even, even ladies who've never had children still have maternal instincts and children are naturally drawn to that and affected by it. Government has been affected by Christianity. Especially in our country. We were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We were not founded on a thus saith the Lord, but we were founded on the principles and precepts found in the word of God. If a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. We have one political party. Listen, both political parties are corrupt. Don't get me wrong. But we have one political party that has decided God doesn't exist and they're as godless as they can possibly be. You can figure it out, I think, can't you? Government. I have a set of books in my library entitled uh, The Man Who Changed the World. And it's every major political figure from all the way back to when Christianity started to up until probably about 100 years ago. And how their attitude towards Jesus or against Jesus affected them. Children. Children called what? Heritage of the Lord. They weren't always looked at that way. Something was wrong with a child, quite often they were killed. Romans would take them and just lay them out on the ground somewhere and leave them behind for the wild animals to eat or somebody else to come by and pick up and use for any reason they might want to. 
But Jesus comes along and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Children can get saved. They can get saved. I've, I've met a few got saved really, really young, but certainly we can sow the seeds in their little fertile heart, teach them the truth of God. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. People are born with a God consciousness. You have to make them into an atheist. Science has been changed by Christianity. You begin to read in the uh, myths about how the, the, those gods did certain things. And yet way ahead of its time, the Bible talked about the circle of the earth. The Bible talked about the life of the flesh is in the blood. The Bible teach, teaches hygiene. The Jews were taught a lot of things about hygiene and, and cleanliness. And, and it was used to help them not uh, be as diseased as the other people around them. Science has been affected by the Bible and by the Christ of God. Sing them over again to me. <clears throat> Wonderful words of life. Jesus said to his disciples, Will ye also go away? He had been teaching there in John 6 about some hard things and that's what people said. That's a hard saying. Who can, who can hear it? And so many of his disciples left him. And that's uh, Matthew chapter 13. When you get to the stony ground here, when it gets tough, they check out. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, will you also depart? Will you also leave? And Peter said this, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Oh, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Secondly, 1 John chapter 5, not only are we believers that Jesus is the Christ, but we're dignified by our pedigree. We're born of God. Look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called, what? The sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, not going to be, but now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The love of God's been bestowed upon us. We've been dignified. We who deserve to be in hell are going to be seated in the heavenlies. We're called the sons of God, and we're called that now. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to be a child of God. I'm a child of God this moment. I'll understand my sonship better when I arrive in, on heaven's bright shore, but I'm a, I'm a child now. On our way to hell, just stop back and think about where you were when God found you. Maybe you was in the bar, pool hall, wherever it might have been that you were cutting up and filling your life full of sin. And somehow or another, God tracked you down. Some grandma was praying, somebody else praying, somebody got concerned for you. And somehow or another, God tracked you down. And you got under conviction. You couldn't understand why your way of life wasn't fun anymore. Why it didn't satisfy you anymore. Why you weren't filled with all those things that you used to do and, and were satisfied with it. The Bible says that, Lover and friend, if thou put far from me, and you get under what we call Holy Ghost conviction. 
And then you get saved. You went from being a hell-bound sinner to being a heaven-bound son of God. My soul. Does it get any better than that? Can I say this? It's going to get better. We're going to be like him. Not only are we saved, not only are we going to heaven, but we're going to be like Christ. The Bible says we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's own dear son. We're going to be like him. What greater lineage could a man claim than to be born of God? One of our family members did a genealogical thing. I'm not sure that it's right. There was some, there's some Weemses in the uh, Revolutionary War. Red Fern Weems. What a name. Thank God for Freeman instead of Red Fern, but Red Fern Weems. But they got to tracking it out, and somehow or another we're kin to some Scottish guy that might have been some kind of a duke or some kind of royalty. It hadn't changed anything about my life. When Ouija told Ashley, she said, I knew I was royalty. <laughs> but there is no more royal bloodline than that of Jesus Christ. When you read Matthew chapter number one, you read all these male figures there in the genealogy of Christ, and there's five lady folk. Four of them with very dark past. Rahab the harlot, but she's not called the harlot there. Tamar, the sinning daughter-in-law, but that's not recounted there. Bathsheba's name's omitted. All we read about these lady folks, and I think they're in the lineage of the Son of God. They belong, to, they belong to the line to which the physical Christ child came. We're not part of the physical bloodline. We're part of the spiritual bloodline. We belong. I may not be much down here as far as the world's concerned, but I'm, I'm a big deal in heaven. And so are you. Precious in the sight of the Lord's the death of his saints. When you arrive in heaven, it'll make news. Because we are part of that bloodline, we ought to walk worthy. You're a child of the king. Live like it. Live like it. You ought to love the Christian life. There's a lot to be said for living for God. With all these diseases and stuff around that people can get, uh, live, uh, clean living, holy living is not just holy, it's healthy. Psalm 113, I'll read a couple of verses to you over there. Psalm 113. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. I want to tell you, we've been dignified by our pedigree. We're discerned by truth and by love. John chapter 13 and verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one towards another. I read here in 1 John chapter number 5, Not only do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, not only am I born of God, but I love those that are begotten of him. I love his children when I, what? Love God and keep his commandments. That's what the Bible says. 1 John, excuse me, John chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, You'll keep my commandments. Only our stubborn flesh 
rebels at his orders. Amen. It's our stubborn flesh that, that balks when he tells us something to do. Verse number three, I've got to move along. First John chapter five, verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are really hard and tough and makes life miserable for teenagers and people who want to have fun. Do you know that's exactly the way a lot of people interpret the Bible? They wouldn't say it out loud, but that's exactly the way they interpret it. The scripture says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. We're not only discerned by truth and love by loving his children, but we're dedicated to Jesus as a Christian. We view him as worthy of all honor. In Revelation chapter number 5, that's a, that's a rapture scene. In chapter 1 is a past tense. Chapters 2 and 3, those seven contemporary churches. Uh, when I say contemporary, not like we say contemporary today, but seven at the same time churches. Then chapter 4 is where the rapture takes place in the book of Revelation. I heard a voice which said, come up hither, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and off he goes. On well, chapter 5, he sees the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. And in verse number 9 of chapter 5 in the book of Revelation, they begin to sing and they said, Thou art worthy. We're going to sing that when we get to heaven. Y'all enjoy singing it now. If it's trouble getting it out of you now, maybe you're not going. I don't have any trouble at all saying Jesus is worthy. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We got enough time for me to read these verses. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now listen to this. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We ought to be dedicated to him. He purged my sins. He so purged my sins. In the Old Testament, there were no chairs in the tabernacle or the temple. The priests never sat down because they were always working. There was always something to do, always a sacrifice. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When he had by himself purged my sins, he sat down. On the right hand of the majesty on high. The job's done, amen. You don't have to worry about trying to do something to get to heaven. Jesus paid every bit of it. I want to be dedicated to him. Be thou faithful unto death, he says in Revelation chapter number 2. God's expecting us not to die for him. He wants us to live for him. We don't live in a nation where we're being martyred. There are martyrs around. North Korea, China. Sudan, Darfur, 
Niger, Nigeria. I mean, we've gone on with countries where it's happening, where Christians are, are being uh, killed for their faith in Christ. But I want to tell you, all he says to us is be faithful, and if it's faithful unto death, that's what it means. For us here in America, you know what it means? You can live and take it, you got it easy. We're sitting on padded pews today with spring cushioned seats. We have wonderful air conditioning. Somebody mentioned while I go, Pastor, it's a little warm. I pull out my cell phone, turn the fans on, turn the air down, heat up, whatever we need. Most of the rest of the world sits on wooden benches if they have anything. Some of them, they got two buckets with a board between the two buckets, and that's where they sit. And they're glad to do it. I saw a picture in the Philippines. It had a flood, and it was church day. And they were standing in the church with water just below their knees, singing to the top of their voices to the glory of God. And the average American, if it rains very much, we stay at the house because we don't want to get wet. We ought to be dedicated to Jesus. Last of all, let me give you this quickly. I've got <coughs> a few minutes left. We're defeating our enemies. Look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ or is the Son of God? I didn't have time. I wish I'd have spent a little more time on about the the commandments of God about not being grievous, his burdens light, the Bible says. But we're defeating our enemies. We have three great enemies, the world, our flesh, and the devil. We have to say no to the world, and our faith allows us to do that. Look in Revelation chapter number 12. I realize this is a tribulation text, but the principle will apply. Revelation chapter number 12. <clears throat> verse 11. Excuse me, yeah, verse 11. And they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. <clears throat> they loved not their lives unto death. Our faith allows us to say no to the world. We can do that. Talking about the world system that tries to drag you away from God and get you involved in other things. You know, not everything that the world throws at us is sinful. Sometimes we fill our lives up with straw. We're not filling up with sin, we're just filling up with stuff. It doesn't matter. It's like getting a degree in recreational uh, leisure. What are you going to do with it? You don't have to teach people how to have fun. They can pretty much have fun on their own. Give kids a ball, they're satisfied. A, well, if you give them a puppy, they might be more satisfied. Our faith allows us to judge our flesh. The longer you walk with God, the more you'll learn about your flesh and how corrupt it is. Your flesh is that which says, I'm too tired to pray. I hadn't got time to read my Bible. Your flesh is that which says, that's not that bad. Go ahead and enjoy it. Your flesh is that which just puts you in front of God. 
when our faith denies the devil the goal that he seeks. I read about a man in the Old Testament by the name of Job. He lost everything he had. He was the richest man in the world, apparently, at that time. He was the George Soros or the Donald Trump or whoever you want to say of the ancient days, filthy rich. Had ten kids. And in one day, everything he owned was taken away. And his children died. Fire came down out of heaven, and they said that it was, the idea was God sent the fire. And when they said a great wind blew, the word for great is, a, is where you get the word divine. They, they believed God was doing all this, and all along it was the devil. What did Job do? Naked came I out of the womb, naked I'll, I'll go, go back. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this did not Job sin foolishly. He didn't, didn't accuse God. The next time we see Job, Satan has uh, said to God, Oh, if you'll just let me touch him, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And God said, You can't kill him, go ahead and touch him. And the devil smote him immediately. And he had what some folks call, I believe he had a form of leprosy. His wife said, I can't take any more. We've buried 10 children. We're flat, broke. Your health is broken. Curse God and die. Job, please. And he said, you speak like a foolish woman, honey. And all this did Job, what, didn't, didn't charge God foolishly? He didn't sin. I want to tell you, that takes some faith. That takes some faith. Only godly faith allows a man to do this in the face of the unknown. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. We talked about chapter 5. The rat, it's a rapture scene. Picking up in chapter 6 in the book of the Revelation. All the way through chapter 18 are tribulation chapters. You have 13 of them. When you get to chapter 19, things are different. It's a heavenly scene. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Verse 3, And again they said, Hallelujah. <clears throat> and their smoke rose up forever and forever. Verse 4, And the four twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne and said, Amen, hallelujah. Verse number six, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, and saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We're on the winning side of this thing, folk. Don't live defensively. We're on offense. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Don't be dissuaded from Christianity because, well, it, you know, it's going to take all the fun out of life. Jesus said, my, my burden's light. My yoke's easy. Being a Christian's far better than being lost and out in the world. Revelation 21 and verse number 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. He shall be my son. This is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. You say faith isn't much. Well. 
Faith is how we connect with God. You see, God's not asking you to do something. God's not demanding you do something. If he did, then that would be you paying for your sin debt. He's saying, but trust me. Give up on yourself and trust me. That's what the Lord's saying. And if we can ever get to a place where we can come grips with everything I believed has been wrong, everything I've built my life on is, is wrong, it's, it's been built on the wrong foundation, and we can view it in that light and then turn to Jesus Christ, he'll fix what's broken in your life. You can count on that. And you'll be born of God. And one of these days, despite all of our brokenness, despite all of our sinfulness, despite all of our weakness, we're going to be like him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking about. My father... Take the message, I pray. Take the Bible truth contained and burn it in the hearts of all who listened. For those, Father, who perhaps are indifferent to the things of God, how I pray the Holy Spirit might break through with the shining light of the gospel, with the glare, Father, of the, the holiness of God. Bring them to a place where they'll be humbled and fall to their knees in faith. Magnify, I pray, thy son today in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.